All right, ladies and gentlemen, automotive and podcast enthusiasts for, from uh, all four or five, six, how many corners are there on this planet? Uh, four corners, Kevin. <laughs> At the least four corners. Four corners. Of the planet. You've elected to uh, to push start on yet another another axiomatic episode of V8 Radio, <laughs> oh my Kevin. God. Axiomatic. That's right, man. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, that's a, actually an 18th century Greek word meaning self-evident or unquestionable, and you are unquestionably listening to V8 Radio. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's a great a great overselling adjective for this episode, but we will tie this together. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin Osti, joined as always by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Cuball-Clark, and an axiomatic guest, a very special guest, yeah. our good friend, Mr. Jeff Smith is on the line from yeah. uh, sunny Southern Cal. Jeff, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, man. This sounds like it's going to be a good time. It, it will be a good oh, time. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I haven't quite, I haven't figured out what I'm going to get into yet. Yeah. Oh, you, you don't know what you got yourself into. <laughs> uh, and just when everybody's talking about having such a great time, I'm going to tank the whole thing because uh, <laughs> as people who listen to this show regularly know, we do an automotive trivia segment on this show. We throw the questions out at the beginning, and uh, we don't give the answers right away. We hold that till the end. It's our big uh, podcast bait-and-switch exercise to get mm-hmm. people to listen all the way through. So, because, Jeff, um, you are our, our guest today, have you, uh, have you prepared a trivia question by any chance? I have, actually. I have, actually, a couple of them. Oh, so. no, Mike. He listened. Oh, man. <laughs> we don't need overachievers I, I, on the show, Jeff. <laughs> Well then, I shouldn't tell you. I actually have three because uh-huh. I saw the one. I saw the word three in there. I thought, okay, I'll just to be prepared. I'll have three of them. Well, there's three of us, but we only need one question from you. Oh, good. Mike, oh, good. Mike has a stumper, no, no doubt, and I've, I've got kind of a softball, but we'll see. So, because uh, you are our guest, why don't you go first, my friend? Okay. All right. Well, um, people who know me will tell you, or anybody who you, Kevin, you know me, that you know I'm, I'm a small block Chevy guy. So, uh, th- of course, it has to be a trivia question about a small block Chevy. Of course, so, it is. And, and it's uh, a bit course. of a it's a bit of a teaser. It's not it's not really easy. So, the smallest production displacement small block Chevy ever produced. Uh, because I am a generous oh, person, I am going to allow Mike to go first. <laughs> Mister Generous, that's what they be call him. That's what we call him. Okay, the smallest displacement Chevy small block ever produced. And this was in a production vehicle? In, in a production vehicle, yes. Okay. Would, would you like a hint before we get started? I absolutely, or? I'll take a hint. I okay. have no shame. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I actually have a couple of hints. The first one is is the is the low ball one, which is it's not the 1955-265. Oh, brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That? See, that's where it got mm-hmm. harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, shoot. Um... Hmm. It is not the 265. Okay, Correct. so well, it's I have I have a bar, so that's so it's good. smaller than that, Mike. Smaller than it's that. Smaller than that. <laughs> Even I am smart enough to realize that one, and that's, that's saying something. Okay, so okay, the smallest displacement Chevy small block I'm gonna say was just about five cubic inches smaller, and it was a 260 cubic inch V8. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I will tell you that there was a 260 cubic inch small block Ford. Yes. But it was uh, not it was not the smallest small block Ford. 
that could be a that could be that's a next trivia question demo, for yeah. for the next pat for the next podcast. Yeah, thanks, Mu- Jeff. And, and and much much smaller, much much smaller than two hundred sixty inches. Yeah, but that's you know for that's when you have a Ford guest. Right. <laughs> All right. Perfect. <laughs> well, uh, is that your final answer, Mr. Q-Ball? Uh, yeah, I'll make that my final wrong answer. <laughs> okay. Well, every once in a while, ever since we started to develop our technology here and be able to have guests, we find our, ourselves in a, a uh, you know triangular situation because uh, we can now have two different people agreeing on an answer. And I am also going to say that, yes, it's a 260. Ooh, wow. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I will, the evidence for me comes from two places. One, I, I, I think I know the car, but the fun thing was when I was in high school, there was a math teacher who was a gearhead, right? So we always tried to bond with this guy and, sure. you know, and impress him. And, mm-hmm. uh, one day, I was trying to play Stump the Chump with the math teacher. And oh, nice. I, and this is in 1986 or 7. Okay. In 88, 88, 88, I think. And I was able to lay down 10 sizes of small block Chevys that I memorized. Right. Wow. Cuba Ginch, and 260 yeah. was the bottom of the rung at that point. So that's the logic for me. I don't know if I'm right, but that's what I'm going with too is 260. I have no logic. I just <laughs> threw and threw a number out there. <laughs> Pretty good. You just knew it was less than 265. Right. Thank, thank God for the, well, that, that's, for the, that's exactly how I got through my probability and statistics class in college was just throw a number out there. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. You use the probability and statistics to get through that class <laughs> because you, know, you throw a number. It's possible that it could be right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. It wasn't very good. But it probably <laughs> isn't. But it probably could be. Isn't. Right. Uh, okay, Mr. Clark, um, do you uh, have a trivia question for I us? I do. I, uh, I packed a Whopper in for you boys this time. Uh-huh. All right. So, uh, you know, Kevin, it, it's just um, second nature to every to all, well to most people that we drive on the right side of the road. But how is it that we as Americans came to drive on the right side of the road? Where did that stem from? Uh, Ooh. Wow. That stems from the... Uh, you sure you don't the, want to be a generous giver and let Jeff answer first? <laughs> no, please go I ahead. I was just I don't have a about to say that, Mike. A... It's how impolite of me <laughs> to not offer to our gracious guest. So please pardon me, Mr. Smith, uh, and well, uh, take I, a whack. I, I have an idea. I have an idea. Um, it's, I don't know. The guy stood on the right side of a Roman chariot. I don't know. No. Hmm. Stood on the right side of a Roman yeah, chariot. Yeah. So in other words, he had to, he had to I, I don't know. I just, you know, this is like, yeah, I have no clue. I know the That's English probably guy on the other and side. statistically wrong, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's creative. It's it creative. is. It is. So. Points for creativity. <laughs> All right. Is that your final answer, Mr. Smith? Yeah, just because I don't have anything else. Okay. Yeah. I yeah, like the yeah. answer. I'm with you. Okay. Well, well, mine. Um, also comes from history, but not quite as far as the ancient Romans. Okay. Uh, but I have no idea either, and, but my mind is going to a pair of jousting knights on horses. Jousting. Really? 
Nice. And it seems like they they occupy the the jousting track, if you will, in the mm. same orientation that we drive on. It seems like if you're going the one way, you're on the right side. You're going the other way, you're on the left. It's interesting. just kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah. Also okay. creative, but 100 very creative. Wrong, but- Great probabilities in those in those answers. High probability of failure. I like it. The 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 other thing that just popped into my head was, um, but I don't. I think doesn't a railroad engineer sit on the right hand side? I think he does. Of, of like a of like a steam engine on a steam mm-hmm. engine. Not sure about diesel locomotives. Yeah. But well, I only yeah. recently learned that you know who else uses that same uh, uh, traffic pattern are ants. Is that so? Yes. I was and not I was, aware uh, of this. Yeah. Really? Was, you learn something new every day, Mike. How about that? There was uh, somebody actually did a study where they were trying to analyze if ants had a sense of direction or how they navigated because they, they go back and forth to a food target and uh-huh. bring it home to the, sure. to the nest. And what some crazy science person did is they suspected that they were counting steps hmm. that ants can count. So they set out to prove this theory by gluing extensions on the ant legs so oh, their wow. steps now went farther, <laughs> and sure enough, the ants took the same pattern. It was just scaled up. But wow. they also uh, noted that uh, the the younger and and faster ants travel on the outside of a of a stream of ants, and the older senior ones are protected in the middle. Oh wow! They, they they drive on the right side of the road too. Hmm. So. And that is your science lesson of the day, kids. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Science and entomology all at the same time. Yeah. Oh, right. It's axiomatic. Uh, <laughs> all right. Got so em. that's 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 my final answer is uh the knights of Jousting the, Knights on a horse. Yeah, all right, yeah, cool. Right, right. Cool, cool, cool. All, all right, right, Mr. Osti, what do you got okay. for us? I've got one. And I will uh, present this uh I guess to Mr. Smith first, because I'm a, a generous host. As am I. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're all familiar with the uh, the engines that Cadillac produced in the '80s that were known. This is after the the eight six or six eight four eight six four rudimentary displacement on demand. But the next generation, the first one was the HT forty one hundred. Remember that? Ooh, I do. Yeah, and it was a four point one liter uh, V eight. What did the HT stand for? Um, well, oh, oh, I mean, well hey, I'm going to shut my mouth, Mr. <laughs> Smith, please. I'm, I'm the floor say, is yours. <laughs> I'm going to say high technology. Just that's the first Ooh. thing that popped into my head. High technology. Funny to think that's of those engines. Not, that's probably not correct because GM, GM is usually really good about, you know, because there's, there are, dozens of acronyms and the the deeper we go into motors now the newer we get the more acronyms they have and the Um, less they seem to actually make sense yes yes (laughs) active active fuel management's one for you afm which has almost nothing to do with fuel (laughs) yeah right right Okay, All so right. Jeff says high technology. Mr. Cuball, well, as, as it turns out, Kevin, I used to own a Cadillac, an 83 Sedan DeVille, that was equipped with the HT4100 engine. Really? Oh, outstanding. Uh, oh, yeah. You've regretted it ever since. Yeah. What's that? You've regretted it ever since. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I have. Actually, it was a really nice car. It drove super smooth. Um, unfortunately, I, I never did figure out what the HT stood for while I owned that car, but the first... Like Jeff, the first thing that popped into my head was high technology. Wow. So I'm going to agree with him and uh, 
offer that as my submission as well. I mean, Holy Tomatoes Holy is available. Holy Tomatoes, yeah. <laughs> Holy Toledo. <laughs> Holy Toledo. Holy Toledo, yes. Right, high technology. See, here's our, our trilogy again where two people can have the same answer. But you mm. know what? That's okay with us because this really doesn't matter. <laughs> there are no prizes. <laughs> there are no prizes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you'll have to tune in to the rest of the show to find the answers to these these wonderful questions. Uh, and in the meantime, I'm going to formally introduce our guest. So Mr. Jeff Smith is a, uh, a pillar in, in automotive enthusiast journalism uh, this gentleman has been around for many, many years and holding some very, very cool and and influential offices over the years as editor of Hot Rod Magazine, editor of Car Craft Magazine, editor of Chevy High Performance Magazine, uh, working with a variety of other titles uh, in his freelance career. Also, uh, a, a huge... Uh, you know, authority on Chevrolet stuff, but never really have been a Chevrolet employee. So you're kind of like, you know, the, the ultimate uh, Chevrolet enthusiast in that respect. Uh, Hands-on guy, uh, big Chevelle fan, and uh, an overall fun guy to be around. So Jeff, welcome officially to the show. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah. So I think, I don't know if you remember the first time we met. I'm going to say probably not. But, oh, I uh, think I think I do actually. I think it was Power Tour, right? With yeah, them, yeah, I, 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 the car, With the Power Tour, <laughs> the the car that you were. I don't remember what it was, but I I remember you because he had the entire long haul gang sign your car with Sharpies. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So my, my I, I can't Paul, tell you what year that was. That would have been what eighties, right? It was actually ninety six. Um, ninety six. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> which was the the second official you okay. know, Power Tour. You know. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but my friend Paul owned this rusted out 88 Chevy Cavalier and, and he had a Nova at home and, and I had a Buick at home and none of these cars were put together. And I was just out of college and he was finishing up engineering school at U of I. And, okay. uh, we had made the new year's resolution to go on power tour, which uh -huh. of course I had forgotten all about, but, uh, <laughs> May rolls around and he's like, dude, we got to go. <laughs> and I said, go where? And he said, we got to go in LA in a day and a half. So <laughs> on the way out, we realized that we were driving this horrible car and we were going to be on the roads with, you know, people like Connington and Baskerville and, and Brizio and, and yeah. the list goes on and on and yourself and, and, uh, so we, we decided to poke some fun at the car and have people sign it. Well, uh, Paul and I, as you know, did many people, um, I don't want to say grew up, but since the eighties had been reading your articles in car craft and in hot rod. And, and what I really always liked is that your, your style of writing was easy, easy to understand. So like many kids, um, I think I was introduced to Hot Rod first. My aunt gave me a subscription for Christmas, and I was probably ten. I was probably mm -hmm. nine or ten wow. years old. Wow! And 10. short, wow. yeah. Sh and, but I didn't know what the heck I was reading. I was looking <laughs> at the pictures, you know, honestly. Right. Sure. And uh, about a year and a half later, I discovered Cartoons Magazine on a newsstand in Colorado. There you go. Sure. And then I started to learn a little bit. Um, but was was interesting is that certain articles in Hot Rod like the ones written by Marlon Davis, for example, I couldn't hang. I, I just didn't follow them. They were very technical, way beyond me, right? But your stuff was able to address the masses, and it was written in such a manner that you could kind of follow along and, you know, pick up some words and, you know, mm -hmm. 
soon I started a, you know, whole camshaft. And, and I remember having very specific questions as a kid. It's so it's a 350 Chevy. What, what, what's the 350, you know, what does yeah, the 350 mean? mean? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was able to kind of dissect all that stuff. And I learned so much from, from your writings. And, uh, when we finally got to meet, uh, in 96, I was in my early twenties and Paul and I were like, Hey, there's Jeff Smith. And I think it was at the, like a Hardee's in Champaign, Illinois or something uh, at a a tour stop. And there were some cool cars there. Dan Jacobs was there with that Predator 39 Chevy that Troy just finished with the ostrich skin interior and the, you know, (laughs) headlights and all that stuff. And, and, but you're just kind of hanging out and we didn't want to be, you know, those guys that kind of got in the way of everything with our stupid car and our stupid questions and all that stuff. But uh, I think you were finishing up some of the Mighty Mouse series, uh, which was a, correct me if I'm wrong, but a fuel-injected supercharged small block that was in your 65 Chevelle. Yeah, the 302, yeah, yeah. And uh, So that was the second, yeah, so the second power tour. Because the first one, the first one, I was bored. You know, we're just driving <laughs> cross-country. It was fun, but there was no challenge, you know? Mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. so all the way back, I'm think- or all the way out and, and all the way back, I'm thinking... How can we turn this into a contest and make it interesting? And so I came up with my own and said, okay, let's build a, let's build a motor that can make 550 horsepower and get 25 miles per gallon. And everybody right. told me I was crazy, you know. But Especially like, in, a, I, in a brick brick Chevelle. Yes, absolutely. And the short version of a very, very long, ugly story is we, <laughs> we achieved that <laughs> just wow. barely, but we did. And, and it made 550. It, had the, it was a 302 small block. Uh, that we built with a bow tie block and and uh, <clears throat> good pieces, and uh, we got, we put on Kenny Dutwaller's dyno, and it it would make 550, but it would shred the belt every time we did it. <laughs> oh, oh boy! <laughs> so we could only you know it was like it was like the Daffy Duck cartoon, right? It's a great Daffy. It's a great it's a great trick. Yeah, but I can only do it once. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, totally. And, and we we literally in a 10 mile radius of Kenny's shop, we cleaned out every because we had a very specific belt length that we could run. That was it. And we cleaned every shop out of every belt that they had. We we ate, we ended up eating about fifteen belts, which were like twenty dollars a piece. Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, <laughs> trying to I tune, bet. trying to tune this thing, sure. and because the, the the lower crank pulley was too small, it was only a six rib, six rib belt. We were trying to run like fourteen pounds of boost, and it was a, a old B trim Vortec. You know, it was ancient, ancient stuff, and yeah. uh, but it worked. And then we stuck the motor in the car, and literally by the time I got it running, I had I had two days to tune it, and then we left. On yep. power tour, there so you go. the whole way across country, I was Man. I was you know driving by myself, and and um, uh, a friend of mine was behind me, um, and and he says I couldn't. It took me like a couple hours to figure out you're only looking about ten percent straight ahead, and the rest of the time you're looking to your right. And he finally he says I finally figured it out, and I'm laughing, and he goes You're on your laptop, aren't you? I go Yeah, I'm doing this thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing too. this thing the whole time. And uh, so by the time we got to like you know, of course when we got up to Denver, it, it it's supposed to auto correct, you know, it should correct for density altitude, but it didn't. So I'm well, I'm gonna lean this out more, you know. So then of course I had to put it back in when we got back down out of the mountains. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was the '65. Yeah. Yep, and and at that point, so you you were accumulating all this you know, driving experience with the car and everything, and and Paul and I have been following the the story of the engine build in the magazine, mm-hmm. and uh, standing there in the Hardys, I think you spent an hour, 
maybe an hour and a half <laughs> with us, two knuckleheads uh-huh. from nowhere, yeah. just just telling stories. And and Paul had all these ideas of what he wanted to do with his Nova and picking mm-hmm. your brain and everything. And and uh, we got in the car at the end of the night and uh, we're like, yeah, that guy's the real deal. You know, it, it was exactly what you got from the magazine. And uh, it was just such a cool experience to to meet somebody that you, you know, you'd never met before, but knew already, you know, and looked up to and not mm-hmm. have that experience uh, go south, you know, by a strange personality or not giving you the time of day. I mean, it, it was right. very cool. Right. And then a couple of years later, when I was able to, well, actually the end of the next year, I got my job at uh, at Hot Rod in ad sales and mm-hmm. I think you were on Chevy High Performance at that point and end of 97. Yeah. You were yeah. just moving over there and Ro McGonagall mm-hmm. was editor of Hot Rod. And um, I didn't know how that structure worked or anything but uh, I remember walking down the hallways of, of Peterson Publishing and, and uh, we crossed paths and I'm like, uh, hi, my name's Kevin, I'm new here. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I remember you from Power Tour. And you just kind of walk on. <laughs> I was like, hey, right on. Oh, cool, man. <laughs> right on. Yeah, which turned into a uh, a pretty cool friendship. You know, we got to yes. do a lot of stuff together over the years. And yes. somewhere I've got a picture of uh, that I should, I really got to get out and share with that Peterson alumni group. But it was one of the parties that we had at my place in Hermosa Beach. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're in the picture and Rob Canan and Wayne Cook and, you know, just a whole bunch of people from that time period. It was a lot of fun. So, yeah, we yeah. did have some good times. The, the other image that pops into my head is uh, another power tour with your convertible in stuck in the middle of the desert. <laughs> yes. Oh, it was a regular occurrence. <laughs> which power tour was that? There yes. were many. <laughs> which, which desert, which uh, the only thing that's constant was it was my red galaxy, but it was uh, broken down yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, we finally rolled in I, wherever we were at in Phoenix and we got there, it was all over. There was no food. There was no parking spaces, no nothing by the time we rolled in that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's when we did the uh, the rod bearings in in that car. The, the short version of that story is that car hadn't been driven in years. And my dad kind of half restored it and I kind of finished it off. And it was similar to your Chevelle note that I tried to make a parallel there. Yeah. Right. Cause it was like, it was like the day before <laughs> was the first drive. Uh-huh. Know, of course your car had been far more sorted out Instead than mine. Of 550 horsepower. It was about 200 horsepower. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, I, and, and there was no, no laptop su- tuning going on. No. And, and I'm not sure the oil even got changed from the time my dad had wrecked it five years before. So, I mean, oh, boy. it was really a shot in the dark, but going across the desert, I'm following Mike Schartz's. If you remember Mike, and Mike had a uh, a '96 Impala SS, and uh, it's him and a couple of guys. And I said, "Look, we're late to get to the event, but do me a solid. My speedometer doesn't work. Let's try and keep this, you know, 60, 65 because I don't, I don't know. This car's not sorted out." And he said, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> Rolls up his windows, hits the AC, and does 110, you know, across the <laughs> desert. And and I'm trying to keep up with him. And I had never driven this convertible in the desert. So you don't have any relative sense of speed because it's windy and everything. And, right. and we're just kind of, it's 40. So it's, you know, wide open desert until I pass a semi truck and I hear my bearings echoing off the side oh, of the no. semi trailer for real. Ooh. So we burned up uh, all of my cell phone minutes calling every, uh, parts store in uh, Flagstaff trying to get bearings. We're ordering them in all sizes because I didn't know what crank was in this thing. And, oh, oh, my gosh. Oh, it was nuts. And we just, like you with the belts, we just vacuumed up all of the Ford <laughs> FE bearings in a tri-county area <laughs> and, right, and right. stayed up all night and reshelled the car. And 
you know? So Blew you it up four it days later. Parking lot that night? We we did it in a guy's house, wow. actually. Wow. Uh, we all met in a parking lot, and this guy offered up his garage, and uh, we went to his garage, and, and this, it wasn't even me, another guy I never met starts mm. fishing bearings and, th- you know, dropped the oil pan and wow. made it happen. And uh, a couple of days later, that's the engine that ended up failing, which is how I met my wife. So, you know, power tour wow. is a, a magical and dangerous thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll tell you, that is the epitome of hot rodding going through all that. That's amazing oh, stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's just great. I mean, at the time, I'm sure it was stressful and nerve wracking and, and terrifying. But looking back, it's got to have been a, an amazing time in your life. It really was. And and Jeff, I think uh, Cole Quinnell also had the same mindset that you did, where some people were starting to plan cars for power tour. And they're like, well, we're going to go cross country. So we need cruise and AC and tilt wheel. And you got that impression that well, it's kind of boring with all that stuff. Let's do something, right. something a little outrageous. And Cole built the, that 57 with the 57. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't even remember how big that engine was. Yeah. 540 something like that i think yeah yeah the pavement pounder yeah right mm-hmm. right pavement that was we had, diff- your, uh... we had a different name for it <laughs> <laughs> remember this is a Which, family show jeff it, it, no 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 it, it, it's it's family friendly but i won't beat cole up he's a good guy he's a good guy so. cole is a good guy that's really funny so I think, Cause, you know, if, if you don't love your friends, you don't, you know, you, you take them to task, you know, if you don't love them, that you don't do that. But if right. you love them, then yeah, you, you beat them up. <laughs> this, this is true. This is true. So um, yesterday, as a matter of fact, uh, Joe Sebergandio, um, another old Peterson alum, uh, he hosts a podcast on, on that's carried on Facebook every Tuesday called the Aftermarket Insider. And it's more of an inside business thing of of this industry but his guest was doug evans and it was like uh you know here's a guy that you know my relate i worked for him he was the guy that i resigned to when i left that company Mm -hmm. um and we had some interesting friction over the years which turned into you know today we're we're you know we're all solid but he was pointing out some interesting stuff about the print world that i had forgotten and namely how inefficient the magazine world is from the standpoint of the goal is to send 10 copies of your magazine out to a store. And if they sell three or four of them, you win. Mm-hmm. Oh and yeah. You throw the rest oh, yeah. away. Yep. Yep. Oh, we lived and died back in the eighties in the, in the, you know, really the, the best days of the magazine in terms of Lily, in terms of circulation. Yeah. The, if you could sell, cause we did occasionally, I don't remember now which ones there's one in particular, the, Hot rod cover with, um, um, you know, Cadzilla. That was a home run. Um, if you could sell fifty percent, you were an absolute hero, and mm-hmm. you lived and died by those numbers. And and all I could tell you some great John Diana stories, but <clears throat> about how he tried to, you know, to intimidate me, but um, to motivate me, I should say. Right, um, right, right, right. Right. It was, but his his job really was motivation through intimidation. You know, which worked with some people. It didn't work with me, but um, um, it was it was yeah, it was a fun time. But yeah, if you could sell, if you had thirty thousand copies out there, and if you could sell fifteen, well, actually at that time we were probably selling two hundred and fifty thousand on the newsstand, something like that. I, yeah. I don't remember the specific numbers. I do know that that uh, we we pushed it up over a million circulation at Hot Rod when I was there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, the only thing a girl that laughed at me when I said that's my goal. You know, I, I never said that I would make it. That was my goal. <laughs> and, then and, and then it and it wasn't. Real. I had a, a, a fantastic staff, an absolutely wonderful staff, and 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 they and the company would support the magazine with with a budget. And that allowed us to do things like that Cadzilla shoot, which was just enormously expensive. And yeah, the bill we... came in. The bill came in for that shoot. Randy Lorenzen shot the cover and all the inside artwork on it. And we had we had all three of the guys from ZZ Top in the photograph. And and so we had to rent a, a studio because the Peterson studio wasn't wasn't big, a wasn't big enough. We couldn't get Cadzilla into the studio, um, and B. They had it had to be a studio with three separate um, sort of waiting rooms, one for each of the guys. Oh, wow. be out, it, this was just like if they were going to go play a gig, so it had to have they had to have it set up. I saw the contract; it was insane. You so know, you like, pay you, know, you the, had to the pay them brown, either. Yeah, well, I don't I don't really remember Billy Billy Gibbons. No, the other two I think at least we had to we had to pay to get them there. I don't think we necessarily had to pay them. It was gotcha. it was contractual at some point, but um, but it, it, that bill came in before the numbers came back on the cover. And mm-hmm. if you want, I oh, can boy. tell you kind of an insider story on on how that cover almost didn't happen. Well, it's funny you mentioned that <laughs> <laughs> because uh, once again, that I remember the day that that issue landed in my hands mm-hmm. and and we're talking uh uh you know late it's 1989 right 80, 80 so, 89 yeah. yeah september october somewhere around there i think um issue anyway so in the summertime i got this this issue with this 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 didn't look like my typical hot rod magazine you know there, right. there's no right. nova camaro chevelle on the cover doing a wheel stand or at a drag strip this is a dark colored custom car a cadillac no less cadillac facing backwards on the rear view (laughs) yes on the cover of hot rod magazine but i loved 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 that car so much it became it still is my favorite all time and i don't care what you want to call it hot rod custom whatever It, it it is the benchmark it's a car i've always wanted and I couldn't get enough of the stories inside and seeing Craig Naff's fab work at, at Hot Rods mm-hmm. by Boyd and reading about uh, Basker, you know, reading, of course, Baskerville's, he wrote the story on most of it and uh, in his special way that we all, you know, loved. <laughs> oh, absolutely and, wonderful stuff, yeah. And, you know, that's another thing is my high school English teachers all got schooled on, on Gray Baskerville because I tried to emulate his writing and they're like, mm-hmm. what is this? And I'm like, this <laughs> well, is cool. Yes. It's what this because is. Because they were Baskervilleisms. <laughs> I, yeah. As a quick aside to that, uh, two two asides that are f- fun stories is number one was when I was editor of Hot Rod, we would have we would tend to run through copy editors because it's a very boring job, and especially if you would get someone who just wanted a job and they, they and they were they were women and they didn't they didn't have a clue what they were reading, you know, but they were copy editing it, and I mm-hmm. copy editor would bring this thing gray basket stuff, and she would say, "Look at this isn't even a word." This is yeah. not a word. And I said, I know, it's a Baskervilleism. Yes. What and does chingo he, mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And and I, I would say it's it's okay. You know, he is a fixture here. And she and she started to argue with me and I said, Well, you know, there's an alternative. Well, what what's that? I said, You leave. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> we're not we're not we're not changing this. And and some of them got very irate. And I said, Look, I I think you're in the wrong place. 
I don't really don't think that you're going to enjoy your time here because, you know, she's bringing out the AP style guide. I said, just put that away because this is Hot Rod Magazine. This is up. And she, she would say, well, this is a boys club. And I said, uh, yes, it is. It absolutely is. Well, 98.7% of the readership is male. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry you feel this way, but this it, has, what they're it has to stay. Yeah. yeah. So that's number one. Number two was actually even before I got there. So I was in college and I was a freelance writing course. And, and towards the end of the class, uh, the end of the, we were on quarter systems. How long ago this was? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, the instructor said, so went around the room and said, what are your, your writing influences? And I said, uh, Tom, Tom Wolf and mm-hmm. Craig Baskerville. And the instructor looked at me and he goes, okay. and they're all looking at me like, okay, we get the first guy, but who's this guy, Gray Baskerville? I said, he's a, he's a staff writer for Hot Rod Magazine. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. your credibility yeah. just went to the floor at that point. Exactly. They, didn't, yeah. they didn't understand, but he, he no, was, had he was no, the best. No clue. Yeah. It went, it, the whole time I was in journalism school at Iowa State University, um, I went back there later as the editor of the magazine to, to you know, just because I love that part when you would get somebody in our class that was actually a working journalist and yeah. I would bombard them with questions. And uh, so I volunteered to come back. And one of my instructors that had been there when I was there, and now I come back as the editor of Carcraft magazine. And uh, she told me a story. She said, you know, we used to talk about you in, in, in our staff meetings. Hmm. I said, Really? Why? I said, what did I do wrong? And she says, no, it's just that you, you were such a black sheep. Because mm-hmm. I, I took all, I ended up with double the number of credits that I needed to graduate with a degree in journalism. Because wow. I took every single course they offered. Holy like, God. Only like four or five in the entire catalog that I didn't take. Man. And they said, why are you doing it? I took all the photography courses and all the writing courses. And they said, why are you taking both? You're either going to be a photographer or a writer. And I would just throw Carcraft or Hot Rod Magazine on their desk and go pick any story in here and look at the byline. And it'll tell yeah. you that the writer also shot the photos because Peterson wasn't want to send a separate photographer. So I mm-hmm. have to learn the photography too. And they said, well, what does that matter? You're not going to work there. I said, no, that's my goal. That's where I want to be. And they said, you're insane. You can't do that. And I said, uh, well, who's, who's paying for this? <laughs> if you're yeah, you're right. paying for it, I'll follow your rules. But last time I checked, daddy's not paying for my, it's me. I'm doing this and this is what I want to do. And they, to a person said, we admire your sort of single focusness, but you're crazy. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then my first job out of college was staff writer at Carcraft Magazine. That is that is just an awesome story. Um, and and looking back at it now, it's absolutely insane that I was so single focused, and 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 didn't you know I, I sort of contemplated the consequences of not getting there, but they were they were they weren't realistic, you know. That wasn't going to happen. You you were going to get there or. One way or, or somewhere, another, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or or, or yeah. some parallel universe. You know, might have been a different title, but the career would have been the same. You know, so you know, it's interesting that, I, you know, you've always been such a fixture at the magazines. I never, I never knew that that was the goal from a young age. You know, because uh, I guess all of us who work there, you don't just end up in a car magazine. I mean, I guess you got to kind of want to be there from the start, and that was definitely yes. the truth too. So yeah, and it, it really started for me much earlier than that. Uh, I started working for my grandfather in a gas station in you know the wonderful town of Boone, Iowa, uh, when I was ten years old, and uh, so it you know because my grandfather ran the station, I I had sort of 
favored nation status. So I didn't have to necessarily work all the time. I could sit around. And so Hot Rod Magazine would come in and I would just pour through the entire magazine. And he would joke mm-hmm. with me and say, how many times have you read that? I said, I think I'm on num- version seven now. Mm-hmm. He goes, are you, are you learning things? I said, every single time I read this, I learn something new. And, yeah. he goes, so, and, I, and I, I told him I was probably maybe 12 or 13 because he passed away when I was 15. But I said, you know, think about it. How cool would this be to have this job? You know, because they get to drive all the new cars. They get to go to all the drag races. They get to go to Bonneville. They get to go to the Indy 500 or the Daytona 500. They get to do all this cool stuff and, and talk to the engine builders. That's what I really wanted to do. Yeah. And, uh, and the racers, you know, back then there was no such thing as pro stock. That didn't happen until 1970. But, um, you know, the racers. So back then I was, I was a, a, a freak for stock eliminator, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. so that, and, and he laughed, he, he, he encouraged it, but not really, because he, he thought, yeah, there's no chance, <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. And then now, here, look what, I, I look back at it, and I think, wow, you know, and, um, and I, I was insane for not considering any other alternative. And uh, to the extent that we, when, we, when Rick Vogel hired me to CarCraft, I, I was scared to death, because I thought, what if I can't do it? Yes. What if oh, I'm not able to to do to write at the level? Yeah, and, I got no plan um, B here. <laughs> exactly. It's just like guys who are you know are in college ball, and because I my ex brother in law was a was a fantastic um, college pitcher, and you know uh, it, my his marriage to my sister failed because he had no plan B when he didn't get hired in the majors. Mm-hmm. literally oh, had boy. no concept on what to do you know and yeah. i i had gone to Votech school and done some other things so i had other plan b's none of which were the least bit interesting you know and i told a friend of mine one time i said if i have to work as a mechanic i'm going to starve because i don't work very fast you know and yeah. everybody's tr- you, you have to work fast to make any money so but you had skills was, to survive you know yeah 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 but this so the same way to kind of bring this back around that uh you know reading those issues you know left such a mark getting back to Cadzilla that 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 issue that car all just kind of bowled me over and it wasn't until I'm going to say within the last maybe 10 years six or seven years anyway um, I really started to put together that I was fortunate enough to be rubbing elbows with the people like yourself who put that car and that magazine together and I started to ask questions about stuff because you know i was a consumer at that point i just got this thing in the mm-hmm. mail and i accepted it i'm like wow this is great and then later um i was roaming roaming the halls at the uh, 6420 wilshire building in probably 99 and i opened up one of those horizontal flat file folder things and what did i find but a stack of cadzilla posters that were never stapled into a magazine Re- yes we would get um we would have them ship us those because Here's another inside story is we, we went tooth and nail with management. We wanted to run that the poster as run a, what they call run a press, which means it ran through all the, all the issues that they printed. But management didn't want to spend the money on the subscriber copies, only on the newsstand. Yeah, because that's so where, the, the, have, where the gravy was. If you could hook yeah. them with that poster on the newsstand, chances are you'd sell the magazine. But you right. already had the subscribers 
money. Yep, so it they didn't were matter already, as much. We, literally, we, had, we already had their money. And so, of course, they would be outrageous. And, of course, the concept was, well, if they love it that much, they'll go out and buy it on the newsstand. And I fought that tooth and nail and never won that battle. But I, I did convince them to we had to spend the money to have them ship us thousands of unstapled, unfolded posters that we would roll up and ship out. And we, we sent out hundreds of them. Guys who well, wrote in, we're really over eight, and I said, "Look, we'll send you one. Don't you know? Don't worry, we'll send you one." I've got one for you. So if you don't oh, have one, cool. Yeah, yeah, I don't have one. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know and what, Randy didn't those, either. And all those, yeah, all those images and everything's all gone. It's you know, yeah. it, it it because that car was so iconic that those images very they should have been put under you know armed guard because and now they're all gone except the stuff that randy saved randy saved some stuff of his own which was smart because that's the only stuff that still exists yeah okay yeah. so let's talk about that that issue and and that photo shoot and and this story because we're yeah. going to kind of kick it off um i'm actually working on a much bigger piece to communicate with all of those people who worked on that are still around that that worked on the car uh, oh, cool. Randy, Randy has agreed to tell some of his stories of, of orchestrating those photo shoots. Uh, of course yourself. Um, I got a feeler out to Craig Naff who did the metal work on the car. I haven't heard back mm -hmm. from him yet. Uh, and Carson Lev, who at the time, uh, headed up the Mattel legends to life merchandising and the one twenty fourth version and all that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. and if we're lucky, we get uh, Reverend Billy G himself, but we'll see. I'm not, gonna... Oh, that would be great. Yeah, it would. It would. Yeah. Uh, and also our buddy Chris Vopat, who who worked at Peterson in ad sales, but now does weekend tours uh, at the Peterson Museum and is the oh. guy showing that car to people in the basement every weekend. Oh, so cool. He, he's had more alone time with so, that car than anybody I know. Wow. Wow. So that's where it is now. Okay. That's where it is. Yeah, in the basement. Yeah. So if you go yeah. do that uh, vault tour, they call it, you can go check it out. So Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Tell us that story because it's a great so, one. So the the battle was tough. So as you pointed out, you know it was a it was actually a, a very very dark plum. You know it looked black when you photographed it. It looked black, and so Randy did um, you know a spectacular job of shooting the car, um, and so we put this cover together, and and there was some battles internally you know on the staff. This is what we think you know blah blah. But the most interesting angle of the car was the rear, so. As you pointed out, we went upstairs to a management, and I walked, this is the only cover meeting ever that I ever was involved with as editor Hot Rod, where there were, there were like 15 people in the room. <laughs> and, and the president of the company, not Mr. Peterson, but the president of the company, uh, Fred Wangrow, and, and the way it always worked, it was a rectangular table, and the editorial people sat on one side, and the, and the circulation people, and it was like an us and them mentality sat on the other side of the table. You know, it wasn't even like the, the, the negotiations in Paris during Vietnam where it was, had to be a round table. It wasn't even that. And, and oddly, this is the only time this ever happened, Lee Kelly was there. Mm. And Lee Kelly at the time was, I believe, the editor of Motor Trend. Yes, I think. Pretty sure. So he had been the editor of Hot Rod before me. Uh, actually, two, three three editors. Maybe he was the publisher by this time. Probably the publisher. For some reason, he was there. There's no reason for him to be there, but he was there. So, mm -hmm. and circulation is absolutely crucifying me. You know, it's a black car. It's the back of a Cadillac. It's, it's a custom. It's like, it's, it's a dark cover, blah, 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 blah. And, and the, the circulation directors, uh, Nigel Heaton, would, would look at Fred Wangro and say, Fred, this is going to destroy this magazine. 
Oh, man. Oh, because he was a drama queen. And it was the only way he felt like he had to get across. This, this, was, this was single-handedly going to chop the head off a Hot Rod magazine. And, and literally, he's, he's, he's almost threatening me, right, to the point where my, to my right was Harry Hibbler, my publisher. And much to the chagrin of all the other publishers I've ever worked for, Harry is my favorite. Harry was a wonderful guy. Harry Hibbler, they used to call him Hand Grenade Harry because he used to drive mm-hmm. any kind of top fuel possible. They blew up in his face all the time. He was never killed. He ran San Fernando <laughs> Drag Strip for a while. Uh, he was the true Renaissance man. He could do, do anything. And he was my publisher and was always, always, always had my back. John Diana, no, never had my back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they're, they're literally threatening me. And I started to come up out of my seat. And Harry's sitting to my right. And he puts his left hand on my, on my knees. Don't do it. <laughs> sit down, mm-hmm. sit down, sit down. Mm-hmm. So we go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And and I I went in there, you know, saying to myself, if it comes to this, I'll put my job on the line, because you know this is too important. You know, and they want to they'll want to put some red Camaro on the cover, and you know which is okay, but it's not Cadzilla. So. Yeah. We go back and forth and back, and it's, it's an impasse. Their circulation is not backing down. They do not want this cover, and, and, and editorial is not backing down much to their – usually editorial backs down, and we didn't. And um, John Diana, my, by the way, is not saying anything, plus or mm-hmm. minus. He's just sitting there watching to see which way the wind is going to blow, right, mm-hmm. eventually. And so this goes on for, I don't know, it seemed like a half a day, but it was probably 20 or 30 minutes and we're not getting anywhere. And they, of course, at any time the president could say, look, just do what circulation tells you. Right. And I would have to do it. Otherwise I'm insubordinate. And, um, when so, that was the, that was the chain of command. I mean, circulation yes. had, had power over yes. editorial because they were right. more responsible with directing sales on the newsstand. They were responsible, directly responsible for the numbers. Yeah. And, um, so Fred Wangro says, this was the most intelligent thing I ever saw him do. He said, you know, Lee, you're down there on the, and he was sitting on the circulation side. And he says, Lee, we, you haven't really said anything. You know, um, I, I'd like to get your input. You know, you've been the editor of Hot Rod and you're the publisher of Motor Trend. You know, um, I, I'd like your opinion. And Lee looked at everybody at the table and said, I think I'll let that thing run. I think it'll, it'll work just fine. Nice. And then as soon as he said that, John Diana goes, Fred, I agree. Because <laughs> <laughs> he saw he saw the winds change, and that's mm-hmm. when he jumped on board. And and so did he support me? Yes. Up until that point, did he? No. So well, he, he um, saw that, that credible minds yes. prevailed. Yes. So so then just to top this whole thing off, and, and I, I can't prove this, that it's probably somewhere buried in some video vault, vault somewhere. I was home after the book went on sale, which was probably maybe 30 days later or something like that. And I come home and I'm channel flipping. And do you remember MTV? Mm-hmm. And they used to have a thing called MTV News. And it yes, was, with I Kurt think the guy's name was Kurt Loader. And yep. he stood there with a revolving earth thing behind him, right? Yes. Over his right shoulder. And it was a dark studio and he just would read you the news. And I'm channel flipping and I'm, I'm an MTV sort of fan, you know, because this was early on in its, in its uh, debut. And so I watched it for a couple minutes and, and always says, and by the way, um, and he grabs this 
the cover of Hot Rod Magazine holds it up and goes, the, the ZZ Top boys ha- have their car on the cover of Hot Rod Magazine. And I'm, I'm screaming bloody murder, trying to get to the VCR in time to throw a tape yeah. in to try oh and get it gosh. recorded. <laughs> and, and, of course, everything that I have has been recorded over, and I've knocked the little tab out, you know, so it's like, ah! <laughs> so... <laughs> I, and I went back in the office the next day, and I tried to tell them. I said, we were on MTV. We were on MTV. And, and they're like, uh, yeah, sure you, sure you were. Sure you were, kid. Yeah. Right. And, and I could never prove it. But somewhere locked in some video vault somewhere is that little segment. It was only maybe 10 seconds long, 15 seconds long, you know. But uh, I just happened to, you know, all the moon and stars aligned for that 15 seconds. And, you oh, my God, we're on, we're on MTV. I'm sure that had help, uh, circulation a bit. Oh, I'm sure it did. Absolutely. You know, no one believed yeah. me, but but they said, you're just trying to show us that it worked, you know, and yeah. it did. And that I, I have no idea what the actual numbers were, but it was probably one of those one of those magazines, one of those months that we, we went over 50 percent. So and, I, and like yeah. I said, I, you know, I had nothing to do with building the car. I had nothing to do with photograph the car. I had nothing to do with with anything except. Except, um, you know, being the editor, um, you know, while this thing was uh, going on. So, you know. Well, yeah, was, but at the same time, to set the context, you know, this is obviously long before the internet and, and there weren't that many other, uh, you know, car magazines to choose from at the time. Mm-hmm. Um but what you were doing is uh, you, you were the editorial commander of this magazine that was the flagship for these type of cars, you know, yeah. and, yeah. and of course it was going to be in hot rod. It's, it's a pinnacle car and it yep. belonged in the pinnacle magazine of the exactly. genre. Yep. And it, you know, it didn't, didn't belong in some black and white newsprint you know, uh, you know, territorial, uh, you know, journal of, 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 you know, guys who take pictures of their weekend rides. I mean, this hot rod magazine was the magazine, so it's only natural that it was there. So it's cool that, uh, you got to be part of that, but then you also had to go through the nonsense involved because it was a serious business. And I can see, you know, as, as Mike is sitting here, not coming from the magazine business side, I bet you didn't know that there were these battles about the color of the, the, the cover car oh, and never, style. Yes. And, never yes. knew yeah. that. Oh yeah. Oh, they were, every month it was a fight. Every month they would always we would we would show them our cover and and circulation would pick it apart and say this is going to be junk. This is not going to work. Blah blah blah. And you know, and sometimes they were right. You know, and that that's you know, it, it would have been easy had we <laughs> that's if, a part we that were. Sucks. you know and and you know i had a a banner one time that they said just you know you can't you can't run that and i did and it didn't sell well and then and the next meeting was like see fred we told you you know it didn't work you know yeah these guys are idiots you know you gotta listen to the circulation department the rest of these people are all morons Uh and 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 then what was crazy was right after that you know the gulf war so the first gulf war started and 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 when, when the boys all came back from the Gulf War, our newsstand numbers, well, actually, while the war was going on, our newsstand numbers started to drop, and they just continued to plummet. Uh-huh. And it wasn't just Hot Rod. It was every Peterson title. Mm-hmm. And, boy, they were just grinding us. So that was 90, 92, I think, 90, late 91. 91 is when the Gulf War was. Yeah, yeah, and, and it continued to come down and uh you know and they were just they were they were convinced that we had all taken stupid pills <laughs> and uh you know and it's just we understand what they were trying to do but it is you know it was just odd that it, at, at at the 
you know, it's kind of like a light bulb burns the brightest right before it burns out. It didn't burn out, but it just, it tipped over. And then we just, there's that long gradual slide that mm-hmm. probably, probably continues to this day because newsstands even back then were, were, were shrinking, you know, and it was getting harder and harder to sell magazines on a newsstand. Well, and there's a whole inside story on how magazines were distributed too. Yes. And that goes back to, uh, so again, for a guy like Mike here who, who didn't have that background, you would walk into your local grocery store, right? Or the yep. newsstand on the corner mm-hmm. or a Seven Eleven, mm-hmm. or, you know, Walmart or whatever. And the magazines were just there, you know, yeah. just, nobody yeah. questioned how they got if, there. If you build it, they will come. Right. Yes. yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Here's our boy from Iowa. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, yep. Yep. The interesting thing is that the magazine uh, distribution business was very similar to like an alcohol distribution business. It was a, all these kind of personal relationships and favors oh. and, and, you know, kind of backroom deals and a, a handful of people controlled all of it. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds and, like a mafia. Well, <laughs> you know, not, that's a strong word, but yeah. the, the principle's kind of similar. You know, you, if you played along, uh-huh. Um, so, so first you had to get the magazines in the, the retail outlets. Then you had to fight for placement on the stand sure. and time on the stand and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So that was always a battle, but that's something that Peterson had figured out. Uh, mm-hmm. Bob yeah. Peterson understood, knew how to work that system. So his magazines were everywhere. But yeah. by the time the, in the mid nineties, first you got the Gulf war, but then you start to see some consolidation of retail and companies like Walmart saying, you only sell three of these in a in a in a cycle. Well, you mm-hmm. don't sell enough, so you're off right. the stand. You're off the stand, right? Exactly. Mm. And next thing you know, all these great magazines are starting to not only they're trying to play catch up because of the 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 climate of the world with the war happening and all the rest of it, but they can't catch up because their newsstand placements are diminishing. Yeah. And then after nice. that, then we start to see the influx of the electronic media. And, here that's what really, that's really what got the magazines, the printed books. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the other thing that you were starting to tell us about on the, on the Cadzilla story is the, uh, the poster. So give us a little bit of insight on, you know, from an editor standpoint, how, how does that story physically come together? Cause as a reader, you open it up and you go, look, pictures, look, words, look, car. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, it was, it, well, it, d- depending on the vehicle, you know, so like there was a studio that we would shoot oftentimes and it was very difficult to get in and out of. And, uh, it, you know, we kept complaining about it all the time. And, and it was, it was literally an old Howard Hughes soundstage from oh, the forties. Wow. And it was cool. next door to the 84 90 building. And it was on this really steep driveway coming mm-hmm. off of Sunset Boulevard. And it was really hard to get cars in and out of there. And, you know, so that, that's where it started was, was like studio shots, which was also kind of fun. You mentioned Coddington. So I forget the name of the car, but it was that yellow street rod that looked like an Easter egg. Yeah, and the, uh, the first the, Illuminator, I think. The, or the Illuminator, Oyster. yes. Illuminator, and yeah. and uh, I remember in a staff meeting one time, we're talking about how should we shoot this, you know. And, and Baskerville said something about, um, well, it, it looks like it belongs on the moon. And... I, I just looked at him and went, let's do that. He goes, what do you mean? I said, let's put it on the moon in the studio. <laughs> and he looked at me like, you serious? I go, yeah, let's, because I had this uh, uh, a very kind of fun relationship with, because we were in Hollywood, there were all these uh, prop houses blocks away from our office. 
And, and literally, I could just walk in there. The guy knew me. I would walk in there and say, this is what I need. He would hand it to me. I'd sign a piece of paper, and I'd walk out with it. So we walked out of there with a complete NASA spacesuit. <laughs> oh, wow. And then we had, the, we had the Peterson photographers, and they loved me because <clears throat> a kind of a behind-the-scenes thing. And I figured this out looking at my budgets. I went down one day to the, to, to the uh, Bob DeLevo's office, and I said, I pay this much every month to rent the studio as part of, and, and to pay for the studio costs and everything else in the photographers. He goes, yeah. I said, um, does everybody else pay the same or does Hot Rod pay more? He goes, no, it's all split up evenly. I said, how, how many of the magazines actually use it? He said, about 10%. I oh. said, so most of the time they're not using it? He goes, yeah, they're not using it. They're paying for it. They're not using it. And they don't have a choice. They have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Well, can I use it? He goes, absolutely. It's what it's there for. So I nice. commandeered that studio for, for weeks sometimes. Awesome. And so I talked to the photographers because they had a group of photographers, you know, Jim Brown and a bunch of people and, mm-hmm. and Scott Colleen and mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic photographers. So I came up with this crazy idea. Let's get some, some gray sand and make it look like the surface of the moon. And then we'll rear project that NASA photograph of the moon. Or, I mean, of the Earth, right? The shot from the moon? Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah. And that's a completely, uh, it, we don't have to pay for that. It, that's, you know, government owns public it. Public domain, so we, yeah. Can, public domain. So we tried rear projection. It didn't really work. So the photographers didn't even tell me this. And I came back down a couple of days later to see how things were going. And here's this, this artist painting that, that the Earth on the backdrop of the wall. Oh, my God. Oh, my <laughs> so we roll the car in there and I put Joe Pettit, one of the staff guys, uh, in the suit and then we made, rigged up an, alum- um, an American flag and we shot that cover. Or it wasn't even a cover. It was just a, that wasn't even a cover. That was just an inside photo of uh, an inside spread. Yeah. So Oh yeah. And then the 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 piece de resistance so to speak was a uh, a car called Frankenstein. Do you remember that? Yep. 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 Um, Taylor yeah. designed uh Bullet nose dude, way custom. Bullet nose duty, and Paul Newman built the chassis for it, and built essentially. I think finished the car. Can't remember now if it was a big. Block, I think it was a big block Chevy. This thing, Franken's dude, and I said, you know what this? Because I was at this particular time, I was really into film noir. I still am, but this it was it was almost an obsession, and I, this image popped in my head of the Franken's dude in this back alleyway in Los Angeles with a Humphrey Bogart figure with the trench coat and the, and the fedora hat um, on, on one side of the car in this alleyway, you know, with like trash and, and, a, and, a, and a rat in the window and all this crazy stuff. And so that's what we decided to do. We went down to Los Angeles in an evening one night and said, we're all going to die if we do this down here. So <laughs> that wasn't going to work. And we just, we were going to have to hire, you know, scads of people to keep you know the crowds away from this car that's what i was really afraid of was the car was going to get damaged by some crazy you know wino that decides he wants to sit in the car <clears throat> so <laughs> i went to bob DeLivo and i said this is the shot that i want to do i had this artist sketch something up real fast and he said no it's going to take too many resources and so then i went to the photographers and i said i really want to do this but bob doesn't want to spend the money and they said leave that to us so next thing i know I get a note from one of the photographers saying, we're on it. <laughs> you know? Oh, nice. So we literally built a set, a, a, a brick wall with a window 
and a and a woman dressed up as a hooker, and we had a, a stuffed rat in the window and the car. <laughs> it was spectacular, absolutely uh, spectacular. It took an it took like ten days to 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 build the set, roll the car in, and then and then only oh, took maybe you know a half a day to shoot it. But it took us like eight or nine days to build the set. <laughs> You know, yeah, and right. I'm paying for all this stuff, and and they they just said this is insane. You know, Bob DeLevo didn't want to do it because he knew how much it was going to cost. But at the same time, that set a trend that that Hot Rod. Look what Hot Rod is doing. No one else is doing this. They're putting a car on the moon, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, and then the next month there's a car in an alleyway in downtown Los Angeles. You know, and it was. It was really a fun time. So there was, you know, and, and, and then crazy stuff like mentioning Joe Pettit that, you know, Joe Pettit says, hey, I got a chance to go for a ride in the big red car at, mm. at the Silver State, you know, and he's going to go 200 miles an hour. Can I go? I said, sure, absolutely. You know, yeah. you sure you want to? <laughs> yeah, I do. And, and so that's one of those deals where what you do is you don't ask permission. You don't because you know what the company's going to tell you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you can't do that. And so we just did it. And of course, John Dyna didn't find out until after the magazine came out. <laughs> and it was absolutely livid. Um, yes. You know, because what if Joe had been killed? I said, right. well, you, you know, you have a valid point, but I didn't tell him to do it. He came to me and wanted to do it. That doesn't matter. You're supposed to look out for your people, rah, 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 you know. But that story is. And I don't know if you've ever seen the video that they did of of the whole car. I had yep. no idea, but that I found out when I was helping them with the video because they interviewed me and they said, "I don't think you understand how this all went down." And I said, "No, I don't." And they went, "It all started from your story that Joe Pettit did in the car, and oh it, it created such cool a, 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 a following that we felt like we had to push that and keep going." And so that was the whole idea between besides with doing all the other things they did with the car was all because they got such this huge following of people that wanted to know more about Big Red. Sure. And you they know? took and ran and, with it. And that was that's that's the the backdoor feedback kind of thing that you you sometimes, you know, when it's just like rock and roll people, I guess, you know, they don't really you know, yeah, we're rock and roll, but, you know, like Bruce Springsteen, I'm just a normal guy, you know, and, and we all were just normal people, but we didn't understand always necessarily we, until we come back around on things like this was like, wow, look at that impact we had, you know, mm -hmm. and we're just yeah. a couple of, we're just a couple of gearheads putting out a magazine, you know, <laughs> well, and you <laughs> don't, know, don't I, tell management that, but that's what we're doing. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I was exactly the, the person being influenced by all that stuff. And you guys pulled it off in such a way that, like I said, we were just consumers. We would just open this yeah. up and go, oh, wow, you know, and never yeah. think about what went into that. Yeah. Um, but you guys and the, the names that you list off between, you know, Randy and Colleen and, and the, the photography staff. So oh. you, you have some insanely creative people. You got yes. yourself who, you know, in the film noir and, and is looking to add new and exciting and fun ways to shoot these things with a team that can pull it off. And then it gets backed up by, you know, Baskerville's words mm -hmm. and tremendous distribution. I mean, there's no wonder why this was such a, yeah. an influential yep. publication. It was, and, and it, it was was right literally on. was right place at the right time. You know, we were a couple yeah. of, a bunch of goofballs putting out a magazine, but we were at the right place at the right time. 
and you know no, nothing was off the table in terms of you know what what do you, let's let's do this you know and yeah. that always goes I, I I could tell you that a lot of that influence came from Terry Cook who was the editor at Carcraft and then later at Hot Rod mm-hmm. and he did some absolutely insane things during yep. those books and he was the one that that termed coined the term street freaks and put mm-hmm. a front engine dragster on the cover of Hot Rod or Carcraft magazine in 1968 and 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 that was like who's doing stuff like that, you know, and, and ran that, those images of the Shivado, which was a, uh, I think it was a, it was a uh, Nomad, a 56 Nomad with the engine in the back streetcar mm-hmm. that would do wheel stands, you know, yeah. and I'm reading this stuff. I'm 14 years old, reading this stuff. And he had a column, Terry had a column one time and he wanted to really get across this, this thing. So he printed it backwards. So you had to hold it up to the mirror. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. And it started off something like, well, now that I've got your attention, you know, because I opened right. it up and went, oh, they made a mistake here. Look at this. Sure. And, and then the only way you could read it was to hold it up to a mirror. And, you know, it was like, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm doing this. And then, and then you re- I got somewhere through it and realized he did this on purpose. Oh, my God. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, That's so great. He did this on purpose. Yeah. 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 I mean, and so he was, he was my influence, too. I, uh, there's only one person I've really, well, there's several, but not very many. I'm not an autograph seeker, but uh, he, he, he does some custom car stuff now. And he was at the, uh, the Grand National Roadster Show a couple of years ago. And uh, so we trade emails back and forth every once in a while. And he said, I'm going to be at the Roadster Show. And I said, cool. So I brought my cover of Carcraft from, uh, it was the issue that he did. This, this is what set me on fire. He did a, a series story in Carcraft Magazine in 1968 called How to Build a Junior Stalker. Mm. By a guy named Joe. Joe Allred built the car, and Terry Terry wrote the story. And I mean, it's like he was talking to me. <laughs> I wanted to so do that. I was 14 years old, and I went out, found a '57 Chevy, tried to buy it. My parents wouldn't let me. You know? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and because uh, we had no garage, you know. <laughs> <laughs> <Me> too, <yeah. laughs> you know, where are you going to work on this thing? It doesn't matter. I have to have it. <laughs> and uh, you know, so I'm going to take it down to Grandpa's service station and build it there. Yeah, yeah and, and he see, and here's the crazy part: is that he hated racing absolutely hated it and the reason he did was because he saw the mechanics he would hire he tried he hired a, a race mechanic one time and come friday and payday and the wife's standing there and you know he, he who do you give the check to and right. the, the kids need food and shoes and clothes and and dad wants to go spend the money on the race car yep I, and I so my grandfather said i know i know a way out of this i just won't hire those guys and so here comes his, you know, his number one grandson. What's he want to do? I want to go racing. <laughs> of course he does. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And it's like, oh God, you know, no. So he tried really hard to show me, you know, and but it was it was a definite influence at the same time. So. Yeah. Well, you've obviously proven to be a responsible person in in that regard, you know, with all that stuff. Do you just for fun happen to remember like what a photo shoot or the Cadzilla photo shoot? ballpark would have cost just to get the pictures oh my god it well it probably represented something like a third of our total budget for the entire year let's put that way <laughs> and then that's the oh oh yeah oh yeah they were livid when they saw the numbers and and the only thing that saved me because there there was rumblings that you know okay he's gone over the edge you know this is insane yeah. and harry's trying to defend me and and uh because I just, you know, at some point I had to give up and just let Randy run with it. You know, I, I, I told him, I, I, you know, I don't want to say this, but just, you know, do what you got to do. Just don't kill me because this might be the end of my career. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, but at the same time, we're only going to have, 
Randy's so creative, he he can yes. find a way to take a ten million dollar picture of an orange. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it, one quick one quick background story. He'll tell you the same thing, but because I asked him about it, I said, there, you know, in the in the spread shot, it, it looks like it's in the cars in a tunnel, right? And I yes. said, where did where did that come from? He goes, it's it's a backdrop that they painted for the movie Spaceballs. Yeah. Oh dear it. Lord! <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Yeah, and I think that? it's 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 when the it's like flying up the nose of the big spaceship with the vacuum cleaner. Right. He told me where this is. We'll get that story from him. But again, yeah. the creativity. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what are we talking so I, like? So I uh, worked with fantastic people. Uh, God knows it, it might have been you know because this is what what we say nineteen eighty nine eighty nine eighty eighty nine. It it might have been ten or twelve or fifteen thousand dollars which was yeah, probably like a third of my total photograph budget or probably freelance budget for the entire year. Yeah, yeah. And, and then there was, you know, and then that was at the same time we were doing the April issue, which was the swimsuit issue. And I had Randy shoot that for me too. And they just kept getting more and more and more expensive because we kept doing more and more fun things with them. Yep. You know, you can just put a girl in front of a car, but let's do something fun. So like one year we did, uh, we, we set up a scene to like for Jan and Dean's, uh, um, the the crash song, you know, where Dead Man's Curve and the Dead Man's Curve. So we we got a Corvette, you know, and then a girl, and then got the permission to get the um, you know, the lyrics and put the lyrics in the song. It was enormously time consuming and difficult and expensive. Yeah. You know? and, so it's funny you touch on that because I remember the dawn of the swimsuit issue at at mm-hmm. Hot Rod, and the pretty soon all the magazines had them, you know, and yep, and yep. the idea obviously came from Sports Illustrated at that time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the first one, I think on the cover it said the first and in question mark last last you know? yes, and that was uh, actually not me. That was Pat Ganahl. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it was it was the the the, the literally like less than a year tenure as editor at Hot Rod Magazine. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and and that you know I'm kind of telling the stories out of school here a little bit, but but he he wanted to do this as a parody of of Sports Illustrated, right? And was only going to do it once, and yeah. they said no, 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 don't do that. And no, I think you know swimsuits and hot rods, it'll work. And he was absolutely right; it would work. And they said no, no, you can't do that. And he went ahead and did it anyway. And, and he was. It was- proven to be 100% correct. But in the meantime, they took Pat out and put me in. And (laughs) so the first meeting I had was, so they essentially demoted him and made him a staffer. And first day on the job, I took Pat to lunch and said, look, (laughs) you know, um, I I need you here because you're a street rod guy. I'm not a street rod guy. Oh, you should have seen the letters that Hot Rod got for months afterwards. He's a he's a Chevelle guy. Oh my God, Hot Rods are done in Hot Rod magazine. It's like no. I mean, I'm not an idiot. You know, come on. So I told us, look, I need you. I need you here. I I want you here. You know, and you know, and and we're still friends today. And uh, so, uh, but that was yes. So so Pat does not get any credit for that, and I had nothing to do with it except that I was the official editor when the numbers came back, and mm. all of a sudden uh, that swimsuit issue had had a couple of dozen fathers, right? Oh, this mm-hmm. is the greatest idea ever, you know? I've been oh, of course, about <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. that. A couple dozen fathers. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. And well, well, you know, well. and and it was like. Okay, well, that's one issue now I don't have to worry about because I know what I'm going to be doing every April issue for the next, as long as I'm editor of Hot Rod. That's and, it, and, it worked. But, 
it worked. And so then, of course, they want to do it more than once. And it's like, no, I'm not going to do that more than once because Christmas is special because it only comes once a year. You know, yep. swimsuit issue for Sports Illustrated is probably a massive home run, but they only do it one time a year because they're smart enough to have figured it out. Uh-huh. You know, and well, I had that fight many, many times. You do this three times a year. It's like, no, <laughs> absolutely not going to do that. I think you know? what was, uh, you know, so cool about that is, again, tipping the hat to Randy, is he shot the first one mm-hmm. and he put in all those cool elements beyond yes. just the girl yep. in the car. Just the, beach. the girl in the car. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Every photo had a theme. You know, the, the girl was yep. wearing a swimsuit that was the same color as the car with mm-hmm. the same stripe detail. And yep. and one, I, I remember some of those images. In fact, I still have the, the calendar that they did. Really? Uh, it was wow. a little cardboard stapled calendar. Right. Yeah. Yep. yep. And, and, and one of the images that comes to mind was, uh, it was a fox-bodied Mustang, maybe a McLaren um, ASC car. Okay, and yeah, with it, it, flares. It, mm-hmm. Yep, it was yellow with the S. It was sponsored by Escort yeah. radar detectors, uh-huh. and the, yep. the model is wearing the yellow bikini yellow next bikini. to it. Yellow bikini, I remember that. And she's that. Ho- yep. holding uh, an impact gun, mm-hmm. like you know. And it wasn't silly, like you know, it was out of context, obviously, because she's not on the pit sure. crew. But it was right. it was serious enough of an image to go, wow, it, this, it this all works. It worked. And it's not disrespectful to the girl, to the car, mm-hmm. to anything. It was just, it, it was, was just very good. tasteful. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and ironically, thing, well, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it was that, that Randy met his wife shooting uh, models for Harrod. Exactly. Yeah. Stevie yeah. was one of the models that he was working with. You know, <laughs> oh, and he's wow. still married to her today. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And they're still and married today. And, and she still looks absolutely spectacular. You know? Oh, yeah. Now, Randy, on the other hand, but that's a different story. <laughs> that's another story. That's another show. <laughs> uh, one of the other things that you had pointed out that and it just dawned on me today is that, I don't know if it was the first one or the second one that you called out the lyrics to the, the Hot Rod songs in, in the photograph. And yeah. it, it, you, you landed on the Springs the Springsteen song where he mentions the Fuley 396. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, exactly. <laughs> and then got letters because there is no Fuley 396, you know. Right, exactly. Yep. Racing in the street, yeah. Racing in the uh, street. Too cool. Yep. Well, Jeff, it, this it, has been uh, uh, a pretty awesome experience to recap a lot of this stuff. And, and uh, you know, the, these these some of our special guest episodes as Mikey is learning are really just, you know, satisfying some indulgences of my own. (laughs) Well, if you ever want to do, if you ever want to do another one, we can, we can, we can fill an hour or two (laughs) with Scott Sullivan stories on the road on the, with the, with the cheese was 55. Yes. Well, that's another one. And there's so many of those stories that were not in the magazine. Yeah. Stories that were not in the magazine. Well, that's a good one. <laughs> or the one. stories behind the story that was in the magazine, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and Mike, we I'm actually, sure. we actually, unfortunately, we pitched them, we pitched them on the idea of coming back twenty years or thirty years later and doing it, but they weren't interested. So they weren't. You know. I'm sure Scott yeah, was it, down with it. Oh, Scott was like he was his idea. He says, "Here, yeah. pitch these on them. It's, this would be a fun story." I said, "Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, it would be, especially because he still got the car to pay for the trip." <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Still you has the car, and it it. And it's, yeah, every bit as nice as it was in 1988. Yep. That car was so innovative. That's a great idea. I think I can see Mike's pencil over there. He's writing that down as a, uh, a follow-up <laughs> episode because it, it would be really killer. Because we, we have a lots of on-the-road stories. You know? <laughs> one quick one. <laughs> we got bored. So, so like we're, we see hitchhikers every once in a while. So it's like, Scott, okay, 
we'll stop and ask the guy three questions. And if he can answer these questions, he gets to ride with us. And of course, oh, they wow. it's, it's kind of like our show. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Three questions. They were impossible, impossibly difficult. You know, <laughs> kind of like the, the in, in, what was it, Monty Python, you know, the, the troll? Yes. <laughs> What's your favorite color? Blue. Ah! <laughs> right. <laughs> no, red. Ah! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spell yeah. chrysanthemum. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we'll have to set that up. It's a great idea. Because Scott's also great to, to talk to and hang with. And, he is. He uh, is. Yeah, if we could get the time. two of us together, yeah, uh, totally. it, 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 might, it might run on for hours. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. Because he's got a very unique sense of humor. Yeah. Yes, for certain. Great, great way to put that. Uh, but at this point, I know our, our listeners are just salivating to get the answers to our trivia questions. You know, they've been forced to sit through all this other <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> right. So, uh, Jeff, you, you went first. Um, how about uh, revealing the correct answers and see if Mike or I got even closer? Okay, so this is the middle of the uh, fuel crisis, and General Motors has all but killed the V8s, but not yet. So in a, in a desperate attempt to generate fuel mileage, they built a 262 cubic inch small block Chevy. Ooh, so close. From ni- only 1975 to 76. I should have written down the Bourne stroke numbers. Now, if you, you know, I could have given you an absolutely impossible one, which would be, and I did this for a story for Carcraft, I think, which was you took the, because this was a, I think like a little tiny bore and a halfway decent length stroke. Well, then you could take, a, a very short stroke crank, like from a 283, and then put it in an impossibly tiny bore, and I think the motor ends up coming down to something like 229 inches. Oh my gosh. Oh, and then run it to you know, with production grand. parts. Yeah. yeah it, it, I mean, it was stupid. Why would you do it? Because, you know, as soon as I came up with that, it's like, I should build that. That would be fun. You know, I thought, <laughs> no, it wouldn't be. It would be, an, it'd be, it'd be a waste. Right. <laughs> it would make no power, you know. Not, not Dotwater, Dotwater built a very small displacement motor for the uh, streamliner, for the uh, you know the Bonneville car, yeah, for, for a class run that was. It, and the joke was it was it was a huge bore, like probably four one twenty five. I think the stroke was like two seven fifty something like that, two six eighty. And the joke was the pistons don't really go up and down; they just vibrate. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but spin this thing to the moon, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. With You're gonna a big be, turbo uh... and tons of power. I was uh, fortunate enough to be at Bonneville last year, unfortunately, during the rainstorm and didn't get to see any ah, racing, but uh, yeah. spent some time with uh, Duttweiler and, and Steve Watt and Rashke and George Poteet and, you know, those mm-hmm. guys. And it's an yeah. awesome, awesome experience. Going to try stuff. and make it out there again this year if they don't, uh, you know, COVID it down. We'll see. Mm-hmm. So Mike and I both lose because what would we say, 260? 260. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew about the 262. But, uh, hmm. all right, well, that sucks. <laughs> all right, Mike, you're Very up. obscure your little motor, yeah. Yeah, hey, well. Yeah, right on. All right, oh, so I asked you guys, uh, how did it become that Americans drive on the right side of the road? Yeah. And um, Jeff said um, it's because you stood on the right side of the Roman chariot. Well, that makes complete Which sense. Which probably isn't true. I think they stand in the middle, actually. But <laughs> Well, you know. And Kevin said, uh, jousting knights on horses. Both terrific answers. However, however, <laughs> the correct answer is uh, mm-hmm. it stems back from um, when America was first colonized uh, by the British, and the 
driving. They customs. drove on the right. No. Well, they drove on the left. <laughs> no, I know, I know. And the colonies did. But after the Revolutionary War and after America won their independence, they wanted to break away from their ah. former colonial oh, past. And they right started on. adopting driving on the right side of the road. Just as an wow. act of rebellion. Yeah. And yes. in fact, in yes. uh, 1792 was the first legislation that adopted that that said that you will drive on the right side of the road, and that was for the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Wow. And um, in 1804, New York became the first state to adopt right-hand travel on all public highways. And this huh. was horse-drawn. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. How about wow. that? Yeah. That's really cool. It Thank is. And, and there's, is there any place left Not in the rest of the world that, that drives the way we do? I don't think so. Any place in in the U.S.? No, in the rest of the world. Oh. The rest of the world, yeah. Well, most Somewhere countries, I, uh, I think thirty six percent drive on the left. Oh, most so countries make... drive on the right side of the road. Wow, something else I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And look at that. Kudos to having the follow up answer right there. How about Boom. that? Yeah. yeah. Okay, Jeff, we're both losers there. Uh, <laughs> You're winners in my book, I'm, fellas. I'm shocked. Uh, I'm shocked. Yeah, me too. <laughs> All right, so I had the uh, the hardest question, which was, uh, what does the HT stand for in the oh, infamous yeah. Cadillac HT4100 engine? Uh, and, and Jeff just blurted out high technology, just kind of, here you go. Mike, of course, is smart enough to follow Jeff's lead and said, sure, high technology <laughs> it is. Absolutely. This guy's pretty smart. Uh, and congratulations, gentlemen. You're both correct. Oh, really? how about that? Nicely really? done, Jeff. Wow. It is that was not a... holy Toledo. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, well, funny you say that because I would say that every time it started up in the morning for me. Holy Toledo. <laughs> yeah. Holy Toledo. Yeah. I got one more day. Yeah. <laughs> well, and just because I'm going to throw in a couple of fun facts about that engine, uh, or at least one. Uh, and Mike, I don't know if you experienced this in your Cadillac, but every parameter of the engine performance could be displayed on the electronic climate control panel while the car was being driven. Wow. I do not remember so that. It had the built-in is... equivalent of, you know, one of today's OBD2 scanners. I gotcha. Built ah. into the, and, and no doubt you had to probably go to key on while holding the fan speed button for oh, 30 seconds or something. Right, you right. Know, Some bizarre set of circum- circumstances to get there, yeah. Yeah, but back in 82, that was uh, pretty serious stuff. So. High-tech mm-hmm. stuff, yeah. Well, funny story. When uh, I was getting the oil changed once, and uh, I was talking to the guy doing it at, at the shop, and he says, dude, you need to get rid of this car. <laughs> this, <laughs> <laughs> these engines suck. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, he pulled uh, a piece of bearing material out of the out of the drain plug. Oh sure. Okay. (laughs) I believe you now. Here's your first warning. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I also, uh, you know, in 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 the spirit of trying to wrap this up, there's one more quick Jeff Smith story I want to share, which was kind of fun. There was a so Jeff's had this '65 Impala. I mean, the 65 Chevelle, uh, uh, Chevelle forever, right? It, it, right. The, the blue one was your high school car, correct? Yeah, the 66. No, the, the 66. 66 car. So this is a 65. So the, That's the 65 right. came later. Yeah. But uh, I, yeah. I remember you you were talking about restoring the 66 only in the past 20, 15, 18 years or something, right? It's still in process. Yeah. That's what Santini It's in Santini paint jail right now. Nice. Well, that's a good jail to be in, though. Pete <laughs> Santini is one is. of the best. Oh, yeah. So the 65 was kind of, uh, you know, if you work at a magazine, you got a car like that, it's going to be a mule for a lot of stuff. It's a mule. Um, Absolutely. 
And I never forget, but again, before I worked there, I was just a regular guy reading the magazine. There was a story that came out about um, if you've got fiberglass bumpers on your muscle car or whatever, <laughs> and you want them to appear chrome, you can mm-hmm. hire a very talented airbrush artist to airbrush the reflections and the shadows and all that stuff and oh, make wow. your glass bumpers appear chrome. Something you see fairly often today, you know, fake trim and all that stuff. Sure. But you never really saw it, you know, back then. Back who, then? who did you have airbrushed that? Do you remember? Steve Stanford. It was Stanford. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. It was Stanford. Stanford. So, so the front bumper on the 65 was fiberglass painted to look like a steel bumper. And then the back bumper was a steel bumper painted to look like a fiberglass bumper painted to look like a steel bumper. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> it's like Inception in here, man. It was. It was crazy. So uh, Steve Stanford, one of my hot rod heroes. I love yes. that guy to the end of the year. Yes. He's such a great person and a brilliant, brilliant artist. He yes. goes in our potential guest file, by the way, Mike, definitely. All right. And uh, got a lot of great stories about him. I won't get into them now. But here I am. Working at Peterson Publishing, I don't know my ass from my elbow, and I'm in ad sales, but I was fortunate enough to park in the in the building, and I'm driving my car down this parking garage spiral, and there's Jeff Smith's blue Chevelle sitting there. <laughs> and wow. I'm like, oh, yeah, look at that. It's got the fiberglass bumper that's painted. You know, I want to, yeah. I knew that story. I wanted to see this thing up close. <laughs> and I walk up to it, and I'm like, this thing's steel. You steal. <laughs> what gives, man? Have I been duped all these years? Yeah, it was great. So I asked Jeff. He's like, oh, yeah, the front one's glass. The back one's steel. But we had to finish the story. So Steve painted it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. And, cool. and it was funny because people would do that all the time. They would walk up and go, clunk, clunk, and then they would get this really puzzled look on their face like, wait a minute, that's steel. Right. Oh. I was I was wanting that second half of the satisfaction of the fiberglass bumper. It's like, oh, yeah. the visual. Yes, it looks great. Oh my gosh, what? what? <laughs> it's nice. And it's still on there. It's still on there. Awesome. That's awesome. awesome. Too cool. yeah, that's amazing. Well, this was uh, this was a lot of fun, Jeff. I really appreciate you yeah. taking the time to, uh, oh, to hang please. out with this us. This was a lot of fun. Good. I'm yeah, glad you enjoyed it. Thank you very it. much for coming on. This is fantastic. I, I enjoyed meeting you and talking to you, and uh, you are definitely the real deal. I told you. Well, we got lots of stories. We got lots of stories. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll definitely have you back if you'll do us the honor. Sure. Absolutely. uh, Again, because I'm not that smart, I always uh, tell people where they can listen to this show at the end of the show, even though you probably already heard it. So why do you need to know where to listen to it? I don't know. Just Google V8 Radio and it'll show up now. How about that? Mm -hmm. How about this? Right on. That's how I found it. Yeah. Hey, right on. It works. Yeah. Yeah. All right, friends. So for uh, for Mr. Jeff Smith and Mike Cuball Clark, I'm Kevin Oste, inviting you to uh, be safe out there, keep the shiny side up, and uh, we will chat with you next time with uh, with who knows who on the next episode of V8 Radio. 